Our first lesson comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a female slave who had a spirit of divination and brought her own as a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she followed Paul and I, she would cry out, these men are slaves of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrate, they said, these men, these Jews, are, are disturbing our city and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us, being Romans to adopt a reserve. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrate had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he was supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. At the same hour of the night, he took them, washed their wounds, then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household Rejoice that he had become a believer of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, today we're going to explore our calling as a people of freedom. During this season of Eastertide, we've been reading through the book of Acts. And each week we've been exploring one characteristic that we see of these people in the early Christian church. We're calling this worship series People of, the people of the Resurrection because these people we encounter in the book of Acts are a people whose lives had been changed forever by the event of Jesus' resurrection. So we've met people like Peter and Paul and Tabitha and Ananias 
And we see that after their experiences of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it seemed like anything was possible. And the way that they saw the world and interacted with the world had been totally transformed. So first we saw how they were courageous. They spoke truth to power. Then we learned that they were faithful. They believed that God could change even the hardest heart. Next, we saw how they were caring, providing for one another in radical ways. Then last week, we heard how they were a people of openness. They put no limits on where and through whom the Holy Spirit could move. And so today, we're going to explore how these followers of Jesus were a people of freedom. And freedom is it's a funny sort of concept. We talk about it all the time here in America. After all, we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. Everybody knows that song, right? We have several holidays here all dedicated to celebrating freedom. Some of them coming up in the next month. We have Juneteenth and Independence Day. Here in the church, we like to talk and sing about freedom quite a bit too. We might sing Charles Wesley's famous hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, which reminds us that Jesus breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. When we're baptized or confirmed here in the United Methodist Church, one of the vows we make goes like this. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And freedom, I think we can agree, is a word that is generally used in a positive sense. We are quite proud of the freedom we have here in the United States and the freedom we have in Jesus Christ, and it's right that we are. If we feel free or become free, we're usually pretty happy about it. But today, we're going to look at two stories where freedom for one person causes quite a bit of distress for another. And what we'll see is that there are two ways we can respond to this sort of crisis. There's one response that causes more harm and suffering and death, and another response that builds up life and is faithful and appropriate for people who have been forever changed by the resurrection of Jesus. So let's take a close look at this passage we heard earlier from Acts chapter 16. First, the scene is set at the city of Philippi, which was a Roman city located in what we know now as modern-day Greece. And Paul and Silas, two of the great apostles of the early church, they had traveled to Philippi with some other believers to spread the good news there. So they've arrived in Philippi, and they're going to a certain place to pray And on the way, they encounter a young girl. This girl was enslaved because she had some sort of spirit possessing her. And her masters were using this affliction to make money, we're told, through fortune telling. But she sees Paul and Silas and the other believers, and she starts following them around, shouting, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. And this was all true. It's the same things that they were pronouncing. 
But even so, we can see why this might start to get a little old after a while, to have someone following you around and shouting, and we can see why the text tells us that Paul was very much annoyed. So Paul orders the spirit out of this girl, and suddenly she is free. But then things start to get a little hairy because the people who had enslaved this girl, they are more than a little upset about this turn of events. Their money-making scheme was gone. So they seize Paul and Silas and they bring them before the Roman authorities and eventually Paul and Silas and the others are stripped of their clothes and beaten with rods and then thrown into prison in the innermost cell with their feet fastened into stocks. But somehow, all of this doesn't seem to dampen their spirits, though, because Paul and Silas, they keep praying and singing, even there in the prison, even while they're locked up. But then around midnight, there's an earthquake. The text says it's so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. The jailer sees all this and he thinks his prisoners have escaped. And the text tells us that he's about to take his own life. In ancient times, jailers like this man, they were often killed as a punishment if they allowed their prisoners to escape. But then we read that Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So this jailer, he rushes in and he sees them still there. And it seems that he has started to understand the message that they were preaching. Because he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas explain how to believe in Jesus. And then this jailer takes them to his home where he and his whole family are baptized. The jailer washes their wounds and gives them food. And then at the very end, we hear that he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. I love the way this story is written in the book of Acts. It's got the action and the drama and the character arcs and everything happens so immediately, so urgently. And this story, we have to admit, is just full to the brim with people who are experiencing a new found freedom. Perhaps the most striking part of the story is the miraculous freedom that Paul and Silas and the others experience as the earthquake literally shakes the shackles off their feet and opens their prison doors. That young girl also experiences a miraculous sort of freedom as this spirit or demon that was afflicting her is cast out. These are all very good things, and we know that God's desire for each of us is to live free from bondage and slavery and imprisonment. In large part, this is what the resurrection of Jesus is all about, allowing us to live free from sin and fear, free from the power of death. But there's also a more subtle dynamic happening in this story that I'd like us to focus on today. And that is how we respond when someone else experiences freedom. Because what we see in this story is that sometimes a newfound freedom for one person can seem like the end of the world for others. Sometimes new freedom for one person can seem like the end of the world for another 
And in this passage, we see there are two ways that we can respond to this seeming loss. The first response I would like to call the retaliation response. We see the retaliation response with the people who are enslaving that young girl. Her freedom from that demon or that spirit, it was not good news to them. It was bad news. It meant a huge loss of profit. They were so angry and upset about this that they had Paul and Silas thrown in jail. Their response to that girl's freedom is to grasp at anything that might get her back under their control. And failing that, they wanted to punish the people who were responsible for her freedom. This is the retaliation response. And history is full of retaliation responses when people experience a newfound freedom. After the American colonists declared freedom from the crown, the British army sails across the Atlantic to kill and destroy and to try to bring the colonies back under their control. That's retaliation. Enslaved people were freed after the Civil War, and in response we saw the rise of segregation and Jim Crow laws and white people who tried to enforce a racial hierarchy through lynching and intimidation and violence, one that tragically continues to this very day. We saw this just last week in Buffalo when a white supremacist terrorist killed 10 people. A white supremacist terrorist who is espousing a lie known as the Great Replacement Theory. This is retaliation. And we see this even on a smaller scale in our own personal lives. A young woman wants to leave home and find her own place in the world, but her parents would rather clip her wings than to see her soar. A man finds freedom from addiction, but his old, enabling friends are not happy for him. They're angry that he thinks they're better than them now. The newness of freedom can be frightening. And we know that we human beings, we don't always respond very well when we feel afraid. Retaliation, that is one way we can respond when someone else experiences freedom. And I probably don't have to say that this is a deeply harmful, deeply sinful response. I also probably don't need to say that the best course of action, of course, is to not be involved in something that restricts the freedom of another person to begin with. Those enslavers in Philippi should never have exploited that young girl Just like the king of England never should have oppressed his subjects, and loved ones shouldn't seek to control every part of each other's lives. But later, in this story from Acts, we see someone who overcomes this urge to retaliate. And just like with any of these other examples, in an ideal world, that jailer in Philippi would never have been involved in a system where innocent people like Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. We don't know if he chose this job himself or was thrust on him in some way, but for whatever reason, he was part of an unjust justice system, a system where people were viciously beaten and locked up without cause. But then, 
his prisoners are freed. Their doors unlocked and their bonds loosed. And at first he's only afraid for himself, afraid of the retaliation of those above him on the hierarchy, which is why we are told he's about to end his own life. But then he finds out all is not lost, that his prisoners are still there. And this is where the jailer makes a choice. He chooses how he will respond. Because he could have locked them back up. He could have put their feet back in the stocks. He could have even beaten them again. He could have responded with retaliation towards those who would be free. But the jailer chooses a better path. I don't know what it was that changed his mind. Maybe he had heard Paul and Silas praying and singing. And some of that good news of Jesus Christ had started to soak into his heart. Maybe that miraculous earthquake had made him think that something more was going on here. Maybe the Holy Spirit had started to work on him. For whatever reason, the jailer's response is not to retaliate against them. His response is to rejoice with them. He asks, what must I do to be saved? And he's baptized along with his entire household. He tends to their wound. He sets food before them. And verse 34 tells us that he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. When someone else experiences new freedom, we must choose between retaliation and rejoicing. Like the enslavers in Philippi, like so many figures in history, we will always face that temptation to retaliate with violence, with grasping for control, with hatred. And I'm not going to lie to you today. Often, retaliation is the much easier response to choose. If we've gotten used to our slave girls making us money, it's easier to use state violence to get revenge. If we've gotten used to our place of privilege and power, it's easier to try to keep others under our control. If we're not used to new ideas and new identities, it's easier to retaliate than to try to understand. But as people of the resurrection, we know there is a better way. As people who have experienced freedom through Jesus Christ, we know that our God is a God of liberation. As people who believe that the tomb is empty, we know that nothing could ever be the same. As people who have felt the power of God's love, a love more powerful than death, we know that we are a people of freedom. And we know that when any, anyone, anywhere, experiences new freedom in the name of Jesus, our calling is never to retaliate, but to rejoice. And we will continue to find ourselves faced with that choice. We will likely continue to find ourselves through our own actions or through things we have no control over to be in that same sort of position as the jailer, where someone else's freedom seems like a threat at first. And like that jailer, my prayer is that we would choose not to retaliate, but to rejoice. I pray that we would fight that impulse 
to hold on to our power and privilege at another's expense and instead choose to wash their wounds and set food before them. I pray that we would leave behind our involvement in all systems of injustice. I pray that we would seek ways of life instead of ways of death. I pray that when anyone experiences liberation, we would always respond with rejoicing and never with retaliation so that we who are people of the resurrection would also be known as people of freedom. Amen.